Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and it's been my privilege for 13 plus years now to uh, fill this pulpit on most Sundays. And um, we are in a sermon series that uh, we are calling uh, Walking in Truth. I mean, you may be just catching up with us today on the fourth of this series, and they're all on the internet. By the way, welcome to those that are watching us on YouTube or Facebook. We appreciate you being there. Look forward to you being in the sanctuary as soon as, uh, as, soon as you can. Um, the anchor verse. The anchor verse has been 3 John 4. You can say that's 3 John 4 or 3 John 1 4. It's only one chapter in John, uh, 3 John, so it doesn't really make any difference. I uh, have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. We do a lot of uh, things that help our kids and we want them to get into a good college and we want them to grow and mature and some of them have athletic ability and we want to, them to get all out of that that they possibly can. We want them to find a good husband. We want them to find a good wife. We want them to find, have a, a good career and a financially stable and all of that. But uh, John writes, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Now, as I've told you each week, when he said children, he wasn't talking about biological children. He was talking about the churches that he planted, but it's certainly applicable as biological children. Wouldn't it be awful if your children graduated from great colleges and they are financially stable and they found a good wife or found a good husband, but they weren't walking in truth? I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. Truth is something that's contended for today. It's argued about, it's debated. Truth is dying in our culture today. And when one stands up and speaks the truth, they are considered arrogant, they are considered a bigot, they are considered intolerant um, uh, because uh, we live in a world of your truth, my truth, and no truth is better than another truth. So I think now in 28 years of preaching, this is probably be the most important sermon series I've ever preached. I don't know if it'll be the best or not, but I, I think it's the, what the content in it is awfully important. We come to a important passage of scripture that's in the book of Ephesians. Now remember, Ephesians was a letter that Paul wrote to the church that met at Ephesus. And people who lived in Ephesus were obviously called Ephesians. And to this group of people, he wrote this. So Christ himself gave apostles, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And why did he do that, Paul? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What's the purpose of pastors and teachers and evangelists? It's to build the body of Christ up so they would become mature, verse 13 says, until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Knowledge of the Son of God would be truth. Until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. No longer babes, no longer infants. We're not talking about a physical immaturity. We're talking about a spiritual maturity there purpose of pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists is to help people grow up when 
you are new on the journey of faith, you've just been born again, you just received Christ, you've just been converted, you've just been saved, whatever terminology you want to put on that, the Bible says you're a baby Christian, just like I was and just like every, the most mature Christian in this room, whoever that may be, one time was an infant, was a babe in Christ and needed to grow up spiritually. And then when we grow up spiritually, we'll no longer be infants. Toss back and forth by the waves. Kids don't know what to believe. They don't have discernment yet. They don't know what to believe. And they'll believe pretty much anything that they tell them. And that's why parenting is so important. Then we will no longer be infants tossed and back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Boy, you can see a whole lot on TV, can't you? That goes under the heading of teaching. And immature Christians are blown here and there and they believe that teacher and believe this teacher and hear that guy, hear that woman and they haven't got stable yet. They haven't got mature and they haven't grown up to know what they believe yet. They're just tossed back and forth. That's why you have a whole lot of people jump from church to church to church to church to church to church. Trying to look for that one perfect preacher who does not exist. Blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Who are these people in their deceitful scheming? What some of the apostles, some of the teachers, some of the evangelists, they can be deceitful, right? They can have motives that are impure. And Paul says, don't be blown away by those. Grow up in the faith so you'll know the truth when you hear it. And then we get to verse 15 and said, instead, instead, what's instead, instead, instead of being blown a back and forth, instead, we will speak the truth in love. And when we speak the truth in love, we will grow up. We will grow up. We will mature. We will no longer be an infant in Christ, a babe in Christ. Hebrews says we'll no longer need um, spiritual milk. Well, we, can, we can deal with the meat of the word. Instead, speaking the truth in love. God is so concerned about the truth that he wants it communicated in a certain way. It's not good enough just to speak truth. Well, I just lay it out there and, you know, they can deal with it if they want to. Paul said, nope, not, not the way to do it. You speak the truth in love. Why? Because you want it to be heard and received, not somebody put their defenses up. God cares so much about the truth, he cares about how it should be communicated because it must be heard and we must do everything as pastors and preachers and evangelists to hopefully facilitate the hearing of that word and not only the hearing of the word by the digestion of the word and the reception of the word. And so God is so concerned with the truth, he says it's got to be communicated in a certain way. For years, um, 
I traveled the country and doing communication seminars and businesses would pay me to, to come talk to their employees about how to communicate because obviously communication is probably one of the biggest problems that we have in business today. It's one of the biggest problems that we have in personal relationships. And one thing I would try to teach them is the definition of communication is MS equal MR, message sent equal message received. Communication is not message sent. Communication only happens when that message you sent is received in the way you wanted it to be received. All of you have sent a message and it was misunderstood. Communication did not happen. It did not happen. Because that message that you sent was not received in the way that you wanted it to be received. You were misunderstood. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be misunderstood when you proclaim the truth. Be sure you speak it in love. I want people to be as open to that as they possibly can be. So be sure as the speaker that you speak that with love and with grace. John 1, 14 maybe said, Jesus came full of grace and truth, pretty close to love and truth. And that MS equal MR, the definition of communication, message sent equals message received. I believe with all my heart, the weight of that equality, the weight of that equal sign there depends on the sender. That the sender should do everything possible to make that message received. That's why teaching, preaching, communication is hard. That's why communication is messed up all the time. Because if I'm going to send something to Sue, send a message to Sue, and I'm going to send a message to Levi, I have to do it differently. Look at all the different personalities in this room. So easily for communication to get messed up here. If I'm doing individual communication, if I have you in my office, I can adapt my communication for you in such a way. It's really hard to adapt it for 500 people on a Sunday morning. That's why communication is so hard. Paul says to speak this truth, to speak it in love. Now, truth refers to the message, what we say, okay? Truth refers to what we say. And love refers to why and how we say it. Truth is a message. It, it, it refers to what we say. But love refers to the motivation, the why, the motivation. And the motivation should be love, the apostle says. The motivation should be love and how we should say it. And that's why I got paid to go around the country and teach people how to communicate. The how. It shocks everybody to know that 75% of communication is body language. Tone of voice. I don't, I don't do this when I talk to you all. Because whether I'm mad or not, you think I'm mad. Because that's what my body is communicating. And you listen to body language and tone of voice way more than you listen to the words that comes out of someone's mouth. The how of, that you say something is so crucial. And Apostle Paul knew this 2,000 years ago. Speak the truth. 
but speak it in, in love. The motivation is not to speak the truth so you can win an argument. It's not the motivation. The motivation is love. It's to build the other person up. It's not to win an argument. It's not to back the other person into a corner. It's, it's to build the other person up. And that's really, 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 really hard. Because as you're talking to somebody, it's, it's easy for flesh to take over. And that's why it's all got to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God. Truth refers to the message, what we say. And love refers to the why we say it. Why we say it. And how we say it. Now, no matter how graciously or lovingly you may say it, somebody may not, still may not agree with you or receive it. That's okay. That's okay. We've got a big election coming up, right? And on November the 7th or whatever election day, we're going to be asking Ohio to adapt the third most radical abortion law in our constitution that is anywhere in the United States. Radical. So I see it as part of my job as a proclaimer of the truth to go on a couple of Facebook forums that I'm involved in and remind people to vote no in November. And I just get pummeled. Did you know I'm a sadistic misogynist? Did you know that? <laughs> I found that out this Friday. I'm a sadistic misogynist. But on that site, I, I try knowing that a lot of people in this community know who I am and to be as gracious as I can. But some people will call you a sadistic misogynist no matter how gracious you are. And you can't back away from that. Truth won't allow you to. James, James chapter 1 verse 26. James 1 26. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a, keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Uh, in our speaking of the truth, we must keep a tight rein on our tongue because sometimes we'll want to say things that won't help the situation out. And that's why the Holy Spirit has to be able to govern our tongues and we have to walk in the Spirit and stay in step with the Spirit as Paul tells us to in Galatians. We have to keep a tight rein on our tongues. James in other places says that uh, the tongue is a restless evil. On one of those Facebook sites that I was dis discussing abortion on, uh, somebody said that a, uh, abortion is the same as a DNC. After a woman's had a miscarriage, they have to go in and do the DNC. She says it's the same, same medical procedure. Boy, I wanted to jump her bad. 
And I, I, I said, ma'am, I'm tempted here to delete this post because you've told, just told every lady that's had a miscarriage that they had an abortion. I said, would you find one doctor as he's getting ready to do the DNC that would say, okay, it's time to do the abortion now. I wanted to, suck, but I kept a tight rein on my tongue. But hopefully I still preach truth. Colossians chapter 128, chapter 1, verse 28, excuse me. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And why do we do that? Why do we speak the truth in love? So we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The Bible. You know what the... the can you hear this? The Bible says it just ain't good enough just to go to heaven. So many places in the Bible we're called to be mature. The Bible says some people make a heaven and, and, and smell like smoke. Do you know that what the Bible says that in, in Corinthian letter? That they, they, they live such a shaky Christian life that they just barely made it through the judgment. They smell like smoke. The job is for the truth to help us grow out of infancy and to mature and not just wave my flag to heaven. I was baptized when I was 12, you know. First Peter, you stick in, Peter used to stick in his foot in his mouth all the time, didn't he? I mean, if you read the Gospels, I mean, he just was always saying the wrong thing. Peter matured a little bit and wrote First Peter. In chapter 3, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Can I be honest with you? I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe I would be a better Christian, but can I be honest with you to say sometimes I don't want to do it in gentleness and respect? And I have to pause. And I have to pause. And one of the reasons I pause is because I know anybody on Facebook can click on my page and say, well, that guy's a pastor of Union Nazarene. That guy's a Christian. And we're called in Christian. The most the atheist knows a Christian is supposed to act in love. Now there's a lot of weirdness on what that word love means, but we're called to speak in gentleness and respect, but still speak the truth. Second John 1, verse 6 says, and this is love. What is love, Paul, uh, John? Well, this is love that we walk in truth. And, uh, you know, I put my words in there, but he said walk in obedience to his commands. That's truth. This is love. This is love that we walk in truth. John MacArthur is a pastor in California. He's pastored for 40 plus years. And I don't agree with everything that Dr. MacArthur, every interpretation of the Bible that he has, but I have great respect for his, his commitment to the authority of God's word. Great respect for it. I would interpret some verses different than he does, but you know, big deal. I have great respect for the 
dedication he has to week after week teaching God's word. And Dr. MacArthur says, love and truth must be balanced. Truth is never to be abandoned in the name of love, but love is not to be deposed in the name of truth. Truth without love has no decency. It's just brutality. On the other hand, love without truth has no character. It's just hypocrisy. Tim Keller is a pastor. He's died now, but he pastored a Presbyterian church in New York City. And you'll hear stuff that Dr. Keller taught me come out every now and then. And Tim Keller says, truth without love is imperious self-righteousness. Imperious means domineering, arrogant, authoritative. Love without truth is cowardly self-indulgence. What's self-indulgence mean? It's just doing what I want. So what does that mean? Why, why would it love without truth? Well, when I love somebody with no truth, I'm just doing what I can do to keep everything smooth because we don't want any conflict here. And, and you know, and there's issues, but let's just, let's just uh, sweep them under the rug. Dr. Keller says it's cowardly self-indulgence. What happens, friends, when you've avoided issues in your family and you have swept them under the rug for months after months and year after year? You end up having a bigger mess than you had if you had to take care of it long ago. The easiest thing is to speak the truth when it needs to be spoken and not sweep it under the rug because then when it all blows up, you've got a, a real nasty job in your hands. No one should like conflict. I, look at you, I would look at you all cross-eyed if you tell me you like conflict. No one should like conflict. But conflict is a part of life and you avoid conflict, you're not going to be a functioning adult. Conflict has to be dealt with. And truth will bring conflict. That's why you have to speak it in love. Now, as a point of application, one, it's really important to speak truth and love to your kids and your teens. And since I'm an old fogey, I don't know anything about that anymore. I'm going to ask Pastor John to come and talk to you about speaking the truth and love to your children and to your teens. Okay, John, come on up. It was funny. Uh, the first service, there was one person that gave like a half a clap and then realized no one else was, so they stopped. So, uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, as Mark asked me to uh, prepare this part of the message and as I was preparing for it, um, I was trying to think of applications and ways to help you guys talk to teens and kids. And while that's great for most of you that have teens and kids, um, I know that there are some of you who don't have teens or kids. Um, so I was trying to think of <clears throat> how to connect with you as well. And uh, I realized, you know, I before I came here, I had a secular job where I was in charge of uh, like 20-some people. And I realized that... Uh, when you leave high school, you never like really leave high school, right? Like maturity, drama, it's always there. Doesn't matter how old you are. So uh, this is applicable to you basically in the same way, just not young people, just older people with the same drama. Um, 
So uh, the first thing I do when I try to speak truth and love into teens is form a relationship. Um, how many of you guys would say that when you have somebody that you have no idea who they are, you've never seen them before, you've never talked to them, they come up and give you advice, you're just super excited about it. Like, oh, I can't wait to use that. Yeah, no. Not very often. At least in my life, when somebody does that, I'm like, cool. Uh, but if it's somebody that I know, somebody that I respect, I think of that completely differently. The next time I go to speak or the next time I go to do something else that they gave me advice on, I'm like, oh, I remember that. I'm going to use that. Or I'm going to think about that. Um, so if you can go to Second John for me. Uh, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not, only I, not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from, the, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. So when you form that relationship and you finally get to the point where you can have the difficult conversations, right? The things that they don't really want to talk about. Those three things in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace, are so important, but very difficult. Um, with my son, Parker is starting to get to the age where um, he knows everything, and he's right about everything. So a lot of our conversations start before there's grace, mercy, and peace, right? It's that, that quick, and it's hard to get those into the conversation, but when we take our time and we get to that point of the conversation where there's grace and mercy and peace, it's like a light bulb clicks in both of us, not just him, but me as well. Okay, the conversation could have been a whole lot easier at the beginning if I would have had this. So these three things, when you're talking to teens, kids, adults, doesn't matter. When you come at it with grace and mercy and peace, the conversation goes a lot smoother and it's, they're a lot more willing to um, take on that conversation. All right, 1 Corinthians. This one's a long one, so uh, just bear with me. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not have, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Uh, I got that wrong, word wrong in the first service, and Paul corrected me, and the teens made fun of me. But um, Did I? Perseveres. Yeah, preserves. I can't read. That's far away. Uh, the lights are bright. Um, yeah, so <laughs> if you start the conversation and you have the whole conversation, right, 
but there's no love involved in the conversation. Because a person can tell when you're speaking truth, they, they can feel when you're trying to tell them because you want them to know the truth, other than correcting them. So if you have conversations or you're trying to show them what to do, but there's no love involved, it's going to be very drastic in the opposite direction of what you want to do. Uh, teens, for one, when they know that they're wrong, when they can actually admit that they're wrong, have a, an extreme amount of guilt already. So when you go at the, at the conversation or the correction with love and grace, it helps a whole lot. All right, First John. This is the last verse. Um, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. This one is huge uh, for teens. I can show up on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and we can have a great time. But if that's all I offer, that doesn't help me very much. So, Maisie, I used you in the first service, but when there's a game at, you know, six o'clock at night that's pouring and it's freezing cold outside and you still show up to that game, even though someone's injured and can't play, but then plays and scores a goal. Anyway, uh, that shows them a different kind of love. I didn't show up because it was my job. It's not Sunday morning. I don't get paid to show up on Wednesday night or Thursday night to watch a game. It's because I love them and I want to show them that I'm here for more than just Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And one of the big things that I always tell teens is that the reason I speak these things to you guys is not because I've read them in the Bible. It's not because I've heard somebody else say them, but God has done something in my life that I want to be able to share with them. And through that love for them, I'm able to have the tough conversations. You know, when they're struggling with something, they come to me. Sometimes, you know, my phone rings at 11 o'clock at night, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I take that phone call, and it's one of the best phone calls I get to have that week. So um, as Mark comes back up, he's going to talk about how these two, truth and love, butt heads against each other. But if you go at it with love first and that relationship first, it makes it a whole lot easier. So thank you. Are you clapping because he's done or what? <laughs> when, when, uh, <clears throat> when I was interviewing John, I said, John, I want you to do as many fun things with the kids as you do spiritual things with the kids. Now, why did I tell him that? Because the spiritual things would not be received unless a relationship is built. So some of you get upset. Well, all they do is play volleyball and kickball and dodgeball and go bowling and Yep, they do a lot of that. Do a lot of that. It's important. It's important. Um, the, the verse that the verse that John showed that truth is shown in action. You know, when the Bible uses the word excuse me, love shown in action. When the Bible uses that word love, which I've, we, we shared before, that's the word agape. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a, I just love you so much. It's an action. 
You can't have that kind of emotion for everybody. You'd be in an insane asylum if you had to have that kind of emotion for everybody. So when God tells you to love your neighbor, he's not talking about, oh, I love you so much and I don't see you and I cry. No, it's not. It's not like that. It's an action. It's an action. And, I th- I, and a lot of times the, the world will say, well, God just loves everybody. And they're taking that. that God is just has such heartfelt feelings and love for everyone. And, but the love God has for everyone was demonstrated. God showed his love for, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is demonstrated. But there is a tension between... Uh, truth and love isn't it we all know that and that's why that because there's tension there that's why many times we won't speak the truth because of the tension and the conflict that that creates there there's there's no tension with love there's tension with truth and if we if we cower back and if we don't want to say anything it's because we know that this tension that the truth makes so it's it's, let's, let's admit that that's true. No one likes to be in conflict with other people. No one likes to push people out of their comfort zone. No one likes to have that weird awkwardness in a conversation when a truth bomb was just dropped. Amy Carmichael was a missionary for 40 plus years, wrote over 30 missionary books. This is a marvelous statement. If I blunt... Now, blunt doesn't mean what some of you think blunt means, okay? Blunt means to smooth out a sharp edge. Sharp edge is what truth has. But if I blunt the edge of truth, I like this, speaking the right thing, speaking not right things, but smooth things. That's really good then I know nothing of Calvary love. Because Calvary has a sharp edge to it. He bled and died. If I blunt the edge of truth and smooth it out, I don't speak the right things, but the smooth things, then I know nothing of Calvary love. You see, real truth is always loving. Real truth is always loving. And real love is always truthful. You know that, parents. And if it's true in parenting, why wouldn't it be true in every other relationship that you have? Family, friends, co-workers. John said he was, in, he was a boss over about 20 people. Truth has to be given in that. But real truth is always the best thing to do. It's always the most loving thing to do. And real love is always given in a truthful way. And yeah, it might have a sharp edge on it. Mike Reed's my financial counselor. He attends church here. And Mike looked at Sue and I about several months ago. And he goes, now, Mark, you're going to die before Sue. Well, of course, the statistics, since I'm nine years older than Sue, and because I'm a male, I mean, the chances of me dying before Sue are great. You know, you go into a nursing home, and it's 90% widows, not widowers. 
And Mark, he said, Mark, you've got to have some more life insurance because you've got to have enough to get her through to 62 when she comes eligible for all the retirement savings that you have. You know, but, you know, he had, he had to say, now, Mark, you're going to die before Sue. And that's a sharp edge. He could say, now, now Mark, you know, you know, you know, don't want to be mean but you're going to pass away before Sue said Mark you're going to die before Sue and the chances of that are high 90s and unless I accept that truth I may not financially provide for my wife who's nine years younger real truth is loving And real love is always truthful. Beth Moore is a lady that um, Sue has used her in some of her ladies' Bible studies. And she does a, a, good, a good job and because she's very truthful. And um, I like her because she preaches like a man. Is that a sexist? That's a sadistic, misogynist thing to say, isn't it? Uh, but she, she just she lays it out there, you know. And the feminine gender is, you know, kind of more easy, but she just lays it out there. And she gets some criticism because of that. She's going to talk about two challenges here to the culture. And the first challenge is true and right, uh, but it's the second challenge that I want you to bear down on. It's a short video, so uh, hear what Beth Moore says here. Every generation of Jesus followers faces cultural challenges that will make or break its witness. At this moment in time, I believe that there are two that loom large over you. The first is pure distraction. Your lives will go by in a flash and then you will stand before the enormity and holiness and glory of God. And the essence of insanity will be to have missed the Son of God over social media. The second is this, you will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. And this will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation. Sacrifice truth for love's sake, and you will rise or fall based on whether or not you will sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? Second John verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. <clears throat> I took that video off of a Moms of LGBTQ Kids website. And of course, for those of us in this room, when I would be one of them that have gay family members, uh, it's a very difficult issue. Very difficult issue. 
there was an image as I was researching this message, there was an image I saw on uh, the internet somewhere and it was like a street sign where you have a, two s streets intersect and like Main Street and Second Street or something and one of them with truth and one of them with love. And that's, that's where it's at right there at the intersection. And we can't do that on our own. It takes the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. We just can't do it on our own. We'll always err on the side of one of the two. God give us the grace to be truthful and be loving. Jesus came full of grace and Jesus came full of truth. And so as far as practicality, this, in this whole series of messages, this is probably one of the most applicable and practical messages that no matter if you have teens or kids or family or friends, truth and love is how we're supposed to speak. And I've told you this story before, but I'm not an egotist, enough of an egotist to think you remember all my stories about Three years after I've been here, I had a young mom in my office, 20, single mom in my office, 25 years of age, and she had a couple of kids, three and four, something like that. And she wanted to know her purpose in life. Pastor Mark, I've got to find my purpose. I want to do something important in life. And I mustered all the grace that I could muster, all the love that I can muster. And I said, ma'am, you already have your purpose in life. You have a three-year-old and a four-year-old. And every other purpose would be a sub-purpose under that one. That you're supposed to raise those kids in a Christian way. That's enough to keep you busy for a long time. That's enough purpose to keep you busy. Well, she didn't like that and she left the office. Because she wanted purpose. <laughs> She came back about three years later and she goes, I know what you mean now. I didn't know what you meant back then. And so I planted a seed and I didn't plant it in fertile soil. She wasn't ready to receive it yet, but I still planted it. But it took three years for it to take root. And when it did, she came back and said, I know what you mean now. I know what you mean now. John read the whole love passage in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll just read one verse. Love does not, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices with the truth. Love and truth are not two opposite things that Bud heads. The Bible does not present them that way. I think practically the way they work out for all of us, the other is a good bit of tension. But the Bible presents them as hand in glove. Love rejoices with the truth. How are you ever going to deal with an addicted person unless you tell them the truth? Unless you tell that addicted person with love and grace and right motivation that if you continue down, the, I've dealt with people 
And I've had to tell them that if you continue down this road, you'll be dead in six months. And sometimes they could receive that and sometimes they couldn't. And you know what? Some of them were dead in six months. And whether the problem is addiction or whether the problem is anything else, it's truth spoken with as much love and grace as the Holy Spirit of God will allow us to have. What a dumb. Can you go back real quick to that Amy Carmichael um, quote? If I blunt the edge of truth, speaking not the right things but the smooth things, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Why did she say Calvary love? Because Calvary is the greatest exhibition of love, but also the greatest exhibition of truth. Some people said, you know, there's a horizontal beam that represents, that's on the cross, and there's a vertical beam. And one of them represents love, and one of them represents truth. The love is for us that, love is that he loved us so much that he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is an action. But the truth that's there is the truth that I'm a sinner and I'm far for God and there's only one thing that will get me to heaven and that's my trust and belief in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's such a truthful statement that Jesus had to die because I'm a sinner. Boy, that's a sharp edge of truth, friends. That's sharp. That's sharp. And so when we receive communion, we're remembering Truth and love. When we receive communion, we're remembering grace and truth. One beam represents truth or grace. The other beam represents the love of God. But then the truth that we're far from God and cannot be redeemed by doing any good works no matter how much money we'll give to the poor or how nice we are. Our servers are coming to the table and you may have never seen the cross in that aspect, but it's the greatest exhibition of truth and love. John 1.14 said Jesus came full of grace and truth and that was exhibited by what happened on the cross. Father, I have said nothing new to these people today. No one learned anything brand new and didn't know that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Everyone knew that. But, Lord, you know that we fail to do it many times. And many times, the reason we fail to do it is because we don't keep a tight rein on our tongue. And we let our flesh take over. And you've told us to walk in the Spirit and we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So, Father, as we come to the table, yes, may are we reminded by 
speaking the truth in love because that cross was truth in love. May we be reminded that that's basically the entirety of, of the Christian life. Grace and truth, truth and love. Those two things intersecting. And God, would you give us the grace to be those kind of people. We, we do not have it on our own. It has to be something that you give us. It has to be a miracle of your death on the cross that somehow can turn us into people that can speak truth in love and live a life full of grace and truth. Help us to be mindful of that as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.